0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I tell you what, the love of the game and the enthusiasm. I mean, it's awesome with the defense. You know, Coach Diaco and Ogang are, you know, really freaking enthusiastic. um, Do a great job of coaching. I think this team has a, very good bond. You know what I mean? I think there's a lot of love in the locker room. We compete like crazy on the field. You know, sometimes it gets out of control a little bit, but not bad. You know what I mean? People are looking out for each other, and that's a good thing. You know, I just love that about this team. You know, there's a lot of camaraderie, obviously. We come together a lot. I mean, we're, we we gel well, and yeah, definitely an offense, and I mean, that's definitely exciting. So if we all, you know,
1: joke around the locker room a little bit more than we have, and you could tell on the field, we're all, Messing around before practice and but I don't feel like how we,
0: we came together and we joked. You know, I really like I really like the chemistry that we all have, you know. Uh, everyone's bought in on the offense. We all uh, know that the the plan Coach Langs and Coach Riley have for us, you know, is gonna work out in the end as long as we buy in, pay attention, do our assignments and all that. And uh also the energy that the defense has now that Diaco's here, you know, I, like I really feel like it's gonna be a special season.
2: And welcome here to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus as uh, we're getting geared up, boys. We're two weeks away from that season opener against Arkansas State. The heavy lifting is done. Three weeks of training camp in the books. Now it's basically on to scout team and game prep. I'm fired up. And you can sense, Robin, uh, as you heard from Mike Cavanaugh, J.D. Spielman, and Nick Gates, there continues just to be this quiet sense of confidence with this Nebraska football team.
3: You know, I was interested with this extra week, the fall camp that they were going to put on, you know, what the um, energy level, focus level was going to be with just another week of drawing this thing out, of practicing against each other, not being able to you know hit an actual opponent um but you got to credit you know this coaching staff and these players for maintaining just a high level of execution seemingly every day you know we have yet to go to a post-practice and talk with coaches about guys um you know just having a bad day you know there's there's been times when guys struggled but overall um it seems like each and every practice so far has been productive Uh, and as a coaching staff that's all you can ask for especially in a year with such transition so um you know credit to, to this entire team top to bottom for bringing it on a daily basis on a fall camp that has been much longer than anything you know anyone's used to. Yeah, I kind of want to know what it is that, like, how they're getting these guys to to stay. So. Um, you know
0: energized I guess because fall camp is a grind especially when you go a week earlier you know you you would think that going a week earlier and drawing this thing out um, you know would would take its toll especially when the guys are saying that they're getting there at you know what 7 30 8 o'clock in the morning and not leaving until 8 30 or 9 o'clock at night for for them to bring it every day I mean that's a testament to the to the team and the coaches uh, most certainly it, it's kind of kind of Interesting to see. Usually there are uh, definite lulls in full camp where, where things are just kind of dragging by and everyone's kind of looking looking ahead for the season to start.
2: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we, we talk fall camp storylines. And, yeah, you mentioned the freshness. I think a lot of it's the schedule, guys. Nebraska does the, the practices in the morning, 930 to 1130, when the heat is not really picked up, and there really hasn't been heat, heat regardless. But I think there are some advantages doing your practices before lunch, giving the players a break. And then they have all day to let their bodies hydrate, recover, stretch, do yoga. So when they leave that facility at 9 o'clock, they're well-fed, they're hydrated, um, and they're kind of ready to go. Where I think if you do a practice from like 3.30 to 6, um, it's a little bit harder to, to get your body recovered and you go to bed maybe dehydrated. Um, so I, I think there are some advantages, Robin, to, to the schedule.
3: Yeah, I agree. And you, I think you you nailed it. You get it, the, the hard stuff done right away and then the rest of it, Uh, You're basically leaving uh, to recovery and uh, just the mental aspect. I mean, you're studying film. Not knowing that there's not another practice looming over your head. So you're trying to jam everything into a short midday window, Uh, and I think that just kind of kept the guys sharp. And as a result, it's led to, like I said, productive, efficient practices. And um, the the timing couldn't have been better, I think, for this. Mike Riley hinted, you know, early on at the start of camp that um, he kind of liked this new setup. Um, You know, it's a they have to do it by NCAA rule, but um, you know, looking at it and actually examining, you know, how the schedule was going to break down, I think he actually prefers this format. And um, it adds another week, which, you know, just seems like it would be make for more of a grind. But um, it seems to be a, a way to keep these guys, you know, not only, um, you know, accountable and, you know, having to, you know, bring in every day, um, but it's, it's just keeping everybody in line and adding to like a general uh, foundation that they've been building upon each and every practice. Well, and I think maybe
0: having the correct personnel to, to run – the offense now is is kind of exciting for the staff and for the players um you know nick gates talked about you know how having tanner lee back there now and actually having a quarterback that can um you know push the ball down the field can help in the run game and and how they're excited to see the balance this year and um and then on defense you know you can tell these guys have completely bought into bob diaco's system and that that they're excited to learn it and, and they're going out there to get better each and every day and legitimately excited to to go out there and grind during fall camp, which um, I think you would think would spell success in in the during the season.
2: You're listening here to the Husker online show, Sean Callahan, Robin Wash and Nate Klaus. And you know, we gotta see a lot of practice on Thursday. And I thought, you know, we watched four or five all throughout camp. And I thought that was maybe our best glimpse, our best taste of some of the improvements, because we got a little bit of you know, good of the offense, a little bit of good of the defense. We got to see a flavor of these young guys developed, whether it was Tyjon Lindsay or DeAndre Thomas. Um, you know, I really enjoyed what we saw Thursday particularly just how Tanner Lee operates this offense. And, you know, we heard so much about Mike Riley's offensive success and what he did well at Oregon State and how it worked. We just have never got to see it the last two years. It's been an adjustment, and we're seeing it now. And I think that is what intrigues me the most right now for this season.
3: You know what's funny to me? (laughs) Nate and I were sitting, you know, standing next to each other towards the end of practice, and uh, we both agreed that that Thursday practice was probably the most human Tanner Lee had looked all fall camp, meaning he wasn't quite the automatic completion machine uh, that he'd been. You know, He had a couple throws that were a little off target, but for that to be maybe his um, least efficient practice, it was still a pretty darn good practice. <laughs> I mean, he was making some highlight-level you know, NFL-type throws. Uh, and just adds even more reason for why um, this has been about as exciting of a development at quarterback Nebraska's had for a long, long time. Uh, and you could say it about the whole position as a whole. I mean, uh, the BTN guys, when they were here earlier this week, they raved about just the overall depth, uh, one through three, with uh, Patrick O'Brien and Tristan Jebby, and then, uh, of course, Tanner Lee. So, I mean, just, just having the com- complete uh, rebranding of the Nebraska quarterback uh, and how it's going to look with, um, you know, a quarterback that fits Danny Lingsdorf and Mike Riley's scheme uh, and how it would change the offense. It's been one of the more entertaining things to watch is because uh, the, the the level of production from that position that we've seen just through a, for a, you know, course of an off season has been pretty stark. Yeah, no question The the efficiency that we're going to see from the
0: quarterback position is, is something that I think everybody will notice whether you're a casual fan or if you're a diehard that, that reads into every bit of information that that comes out of uh, Memorial stadium. I I think that, um, you know, there there were a few times on Thursday where I kind of cringed, you know, when, when, when Tanner Lee let the ball go, uh, because it was, you know, into coverage or, or in a tight window, but the ball, it always got on those wideouts real fast and, and always right on target. And, uh, um, you know, in the past, I think we would have seen some interceptions or some, you know, more incompletions. Uh, and, you know, the ball in general uh, was on the on the ground a lot more in the past than what we've seen, uh, you know, in the spring or even uh, during this fall so far.
2: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus says we've got a full show here on tap. Uh, we're going to continue our fall camp discussion here in the next segment. Uh, We are going to talk a little basketball as we learn the basketball schedule for Big Ten games, and uh, we'll get Robin Wachette and Tim Miles' thoughts on that. Take your questions in the mailbag, and uh, we will have a full recruiting segment as well as Nate Klaus will give us the latest, including an update on five-star Micah Parsons, who announced this week he will be visiting Nebraska officially for the Wisconsin game. That's all next here in this week's edition of the Husker Online Show.
0: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska
3: athletics.
0: Yeah, I think like most true freshmen, it's, you know, he's trying to get up to speed and I think probably thinking at times too much, trying to maybe overthink stuff rather than just play. And I think that uh, today was a little bit better example of what he can do and what he can show. There's been some days where he's played maybe not as fast because he's probably thinking, Uh, but I I like what I saw today, he had
3: a better day.
2: And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin and Nate Klaus, says that was offensive coordinator Danny Langsdorf talking about the growth and development of the very highly touted freshman wide receiver Tyjon Lindsey. And, Nate, I want to ask you this. You, you have seen and watched Tyjon Lindsey as much as anybody um, besides the coaching staff from just the recruiting days. Um, are we starting to see the guy uh, that we saw as a recruit that generated all the attention that he generated?
0: Yeah, you can see the the light is definitely starting to come on for Tajon Lindsay. He's becoming more and more comfortable. Uh, because he is making a lot more plays um, and big plays, not not just kind of flashing here and there, but it's it's like every time this guy's on the on the field now, you're you're expecting him to do something big. I mean, one of the first plays uh, in the team portion of practice from Thursday was uh, a, a long bomb. He got behind the defense and Tanner Lee hit him in stride for a long touchdown. He he's he's made some uh, some really nice one-handed grabs. I mean, he's he'd. Play Plays and space, Um, and I think he's going to be a guy that that definitely lives up to the hype. I mean, at least what we've seen so far, uh, this is the Tajon Lindsey that we all expected when he was coming
3: out of high school. Well, it's clear too that he's going to have a pretty big role from day one. Uh, You see it in the way that this coaching staff is finding various ways to get him involved. Not only is he getting, you know. Deep balls down the field. He also had another play on Thursday where he jumped over um, Lamar Jackson and uh, Joshua Clue uh, to make a catch for what would have been a 40, 50-yard gain. Uh, but, you know, you're seeing him on bubble screens. You're seeing him on reverses. You're seeing him taking reps as the punt returner. Uh, I mean, so this coaching staff is doing everything they can to find ways that Tyjon Lindsay can make an immediate impact for this football team from day one. So um, he's a guy that I'm sure this staff knew was going to be an instant impact player and uh, they're making uh, no hesitation in getting him to that point.
2: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus, as we discuss fall camp. And another true freshman that is going to emerge in possibly a near starting role, it appears, uh, is DeAndre Thomas. And, you know, we knew the potential he had. We knew that he had a very strong um, offseason in June and July here. But seeing him with the number one defense at nose tackle, uh, that was a huge surprise. Um, I... I thought for sure he was a DN. I didn't know he could play nose. Um, but with Mick Stoltenberg, they want to have a quality guy that could spell Mick. They gave him all the number one reps on Thursday. And, guys, he looked really impressive.
3: He did look really impressive. In fact, and I think in your observations you pointed out the play Uh, where he took Cole Conrad, who will be the starting center for this team uh, this season, uh, one-on-one and basically bowled him over to get pressure on Tanner Lee and force a bad throw uh, in the backfield. I mean, uh, for a a true freshman to come in and do that to a senior uh, in his first fall camp that says everything you need to know about his athletic ability and his strength and his explosiveness off the line of scrimmage. And um, there's a reason, you know, you're getting those types of reps with the first team. And yes, Mick's Mick's been held out. I'm just sure just for precautionary reasons. And that opened the door for him to get all those reps with the ones. But um, I would not be surprised at all if he becomes a fixture in this rotation. And Nate, I know, know from previous conversations, this, this doesn't surprise you. No,
0: it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, um, this is a kid in high school who ran a four He played uh, nose tackle in their in their three four defense. He he also played um, some running back. He he was a wildcat quarterback for his team at, at times. I mean he's tremendously gifted athlete. Um, but now he's added, you know, 20, 30 pounds of muscle mass and, and strength. And um, and he's starting to do exactly what he did in high school. I mean, in high school, when we, when we went down and watched him play, um, you know, when he played nose tackle in their 3-4, he was a guy who commanded double teams every play, sometimes even triple teams, um, and and still managed to, to make a lot of noise. He was very disruptive, uh, had a lot of stats. You know, sometimes when you get a big player like that that, that uh, gobbles up or commands double teams, all the time yeah they're they're doing their job on defense but their stat line isn't all that great but DeAndre Thomas put up some great numbers still uh, even though he was uh, you know always doubled in high school and uh, we're really starting to see that now I think you have to tip your hat to John Perella because he recognized this very very early on you know when he came in as a junior for that spring game you know a lot of people said boy he's not very big but John Perella saw the potential in this kid and now he's looking like he's gonna play you know, a lot as a true freshman. Yeah,
2: I think, Nate, when you look at John Perella, he looks at recruiting in a different perspective. He's not on rivals. He's not looking at rankings. I mean, he really, truly looks at it from, I played in the NFL for a long time. I played at a high level. I've now coached for a while. But I just think his trained eye of excellence is different than previous defense, I'm not going to call him out by name, but just previous defensive line coaches and how they recruited here.
0: Yeah, definitely. He's, he's John Perella is a guy who um, can can project very well. He, he, he recognizes that these guys aren't finished products by any means, especially when you're recruiting juniors and sophomores in high school. And, uh, and his ability to evaluate and project players uh, is very good. I also think that he takes into account the type of player, um, you know, these guys' mental makeup counts for a lot with John Perella. And he wants guys that play with a high motor uh, and are big, tough, nasty guys, and, and that's exactly what DeAndre Thomas is.
2: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we uh, continue our fall camp discussion. You know we don't know when uh, the the black shirts are going to be handed out, but I'm going to call my shot now on this and, and tell me if you guys agree or disagree. I think besides the normal starting four linebackers, I think both Luke Gifford and Muhammad Barry will earn black shirts.
3: I agree. I mean they're basically being talked as co-starters. Uh, remember, it's it's not a position battle. It's a cooperative performance at <laughs> Thank those you, positions. Bob. Yeah. Really? So, really? Really? Yeah. <laughs> really? yeah. Uh, so I think that kind of says everything you need to know about where they stand in these coaching staff eyes. And, um, you know, we're we're no strangers to seeing multiple black shirts, you know, well beyond the starters. And so uh, I think when they, they generally release them the the first game week, right? So sometime yeah, f- that, that Monday or practice. Tuesday. So well, we'll probably know then, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see um, I don't know, maybe 14, maybe even 15 guys get black shirts when you add well, in. Well,
2: Boodle will get one probably. Yeah,
3: the guys in the secondary, and then uh, you know maybe a couple of other D linemen.
2: I think five defensive backs when you count Boodle, and then I think six linebackers will, will get them. At least six. Well, I, I can't imagine it going much further than those six. Uh, unless you – I mean – I just don't know if like an Avery Roberts you give a
3: black shirt to at this point. Uh, yeah, we got uh, four starters and then and then the two the Barry, Barry and, and Gifford. Gifford and then I
2: think on the D line, obviously the starting three and then I think it's a matter of does Khalil Davis get one or not is kind of what where the conversation goes. So I I see at least what did I say four I think fourteen uh, to fifteen black shirts.
0: Yep, I'm with you. Yeah, I'd agree with that and and no token. Black shirts. I mean, these, I don't think that just because there's 14 maybe that will go out. The like Kevin Williams black shirts. Yeah. I mean, they're <laughs> all these guys are, deserve them and, and are making plays in practice. You know, just because uh, one, one guy may not be a starter doesn't mean that, that they won't have a huge role in this defense.
2: And that's, you know, they talked about this, like the, 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 the politics of this team and the drama it's not there mm-hmm. where I think there were some scenarios, Nate, where in past years, sometimes a guy might've got a black shirt because they didn't want the political problem it would create if he didn't get one.
0: Yeah. they I mean, I think that a lot of times they were walking on eggshells and uh, trying to appease the locker room and, 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 certain egos that were on this team and, and to be honest with you, I just don't really see that with this team. I, I think that Nebraska is maybe finally beyond that and and that, uh, you know, the – there's a lot less coddling probably going on and, and I think that's good for this team I think that'll spell for make for a much more mentally strong team than, than what we've seen in the past
3: yeah that that year one it seemed like this staff was really hesitant to Very. put their foot down on stuff but uh, you know now we're into year three there's definitely a change in the comfort level the trust and just the bond with the players and we're seeing that just a complete reflection of how this team carries itself day to day in practice
2: and now Diaco too uh, I, I've just been I mean as far as dealing with us I don't want to say I'm impressed with that part of it, as far as the interviews go. But as a coach and watching him in action, I mean, he's—you can see why he's worth the money he's worth. I mean, he—he's really brought a personality to this defensive culture, this coaching staff on defense, the players, and—and and, and he's showing why he's a $800 and some thousand dollar played coordinator.
3: Yeah, he's an unusual personality and has a lot of quirks to him. But when it comes to coaching football. He's legit. Um, he r- delivers a message in a way uh, with an energy that just clicks with players, and that's why I think that this transition to this new defensive scheme has gone as smoothly as it has because you have a guy like Tiago setting the tone for the teaching of it, and that's carried over. I mean, the coaches are able to understand it and deliver the same message uh, when you have you know him kind of sparking this with his energy and a staff with equal amounts of energy, well, at least close to it. Uh, I mean, that's really helped uh, these players. Kind of um, just kind of latch on to this and, and grasp what they're teaching and um, has really made for a pretty smooth transition thus far. Yeah, the
0: teaching aspect of it is probably the key to me. I, I don't think that, you know, he's, he's more than just a cheerleader, he, he makes it easy and fun for these guys to learn and, and play for him. All
2: right, when we come back, we're going to shift the discussion over to basketball as we learn the new Nebraska basketball uh, Big Ten schedule this week. We'll get Robin's thoughts on that. Nate will rejoin us for the mailbag in recruiting. That's next, though, here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska
0: athletics. You know, when
3: you look at it, everybody's probably got – They like about it, everything, everybody's got things they don't necessarily like about it. I just look at our entire schedule and say, you know, that
0: challenging part, of course, I think probably, especially Orlando uh, through Kansas, is going to be we're going to have to play a lot of high level basketball.
2: And welcome back here to the Husker Online show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washett. As we're talking some Nebraska basketball, as you heard from head coach Tim Miles, it was schedule release day. Um, as the Big Ten unveiled the final pieces of Nebraska's schedule. And good news, Robin, uh, we will have Saturday basketball in Lincoln uh, for the conference, which was something we did not have a year ago. Uh, But the bad news is the rest of the schedule does not look very promising for a coach that's trying to save his job here uh, in Tim Miles.
3: Well, there are bits and pieces of it. You know, the the beginning of it is not good. (laughs) It's uh, about as brutal of a start to league play as you could possibly imagine. But the good news is uh, they end it uh, on a pretty relatively favorable, um, I guess, roundabout where you got four of your final five games at home including two straight home games to end the season for the first time in 21 years and just the third time since 1970 so um, as brutal as you know the start uh, of things you know once December rolls around uh, may be uh, if, if somehow Nebraska can remain uh, above water and be in a position to potentially make a run, uh, the schedule sets up pretty nicely.
2: I think when you look at it, though, Robin, it, it's going to come down to did they overschedule again on the front end? And, and I think that's what happened at times last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you play, is it typically 13, 14 non-conference games? Yeah. Um, you know, you, you want to get out of that with some momentum and not be like 6-6 six and six or 7-5 and five or, or whatever Nebraska's kind of been at. Um, And and you look at this stretch now, and it's hard not to think of that scenario uh, with with these games against Creighton and Kansas and the tournament. Uh, and then the Boston College game, you know, is going to be a very challenging ACC Big Ten challenge game. Um, so there are a lot of obstacles. And I think the non-conference schedule, again, is as difficult as we're used to seeing with Nebraska basketball.
3: Well, it's it's not as hard as last year's. Um, I don't think there's any comparison there, but I think it's has good balance. You know, they start the year with, you know, two winnable kind of warm-up games, quote-unquote, against Eastern Illinois North Texas before they face their first true high-major road opponent in St. Johns in that third game of the season. Then they come back and play a North Dakota team who, who's not all that shabby. They almost beat Iowa a year ago, um, and they're they're a physical team that you know Nebraska can't take lightly. And that's going to be um, you know a nice, I guess, uh, bounce back game at home before heading out to Orlando, which. Um, you know, of course, given Nebraska's luck, they're going to a neutral site tournament to play essentially a true road game against C- Central Florida, who uh, has former Michigan transfer Aubrey Dawkins eligible as well as seven-foot-six center Taco Fall. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of the, the typical Nebraska luck that, that fell into play there. But um, if they're able to win that game, more than likely they're going to play West Virginia in the second round. And so that boosts things up considerably as far as your non-conference RPI Guy. And so, you know, we'll see how that thing plays out. But then you come home, and you, you mentioned Boston College. They are one of the worst Power 5 basketball programs in all of, all of the country last year. So uh, I don't know what they're returning, but no matter what it is, it can't be that good. So I think that's an extremely winnable game in that Big Ten ACC Challenge game for Nebraska. And then, uh, of course, you know, for those, you know, haven't heard, uh, Big Ten play is different this year, where it's starting with two conference games around that first weekend in December, uh, around the Big Ten championship, and so December 3rd, they open their conference slate against Michigan State, December 5th, they host Minnesota, and then you roll at Creighton on December 9th, and then December 16th, you're hosting Kansas, so that that is what immediately sticks out to everybody, is that stretch, essentially from Thanksgiving on through December 16th. Uh, of just a, kind of a gauntlet Nebraska's going to have to go through.
2: I'll tell you one thing I do like, though, Robin, is in January, Nebraska will go to Northwestern on January 2nd and Purdue on January 6th. It reminds me a lot of that Indiana-Maryland road stretch they had a year ago where they were able to get both those teams when students were off campus. Um, and, and, you know, when you want to travel, I guess you want the advantages Uh, like that where students won't be on campus i felt like that was a big reason why nebraska was able to steal that game at maryland it was like an 11 a.m sunday Mm -hmm. game no no students and it you know right after the indiana win and uh, I, i think that's an opportunity for them you know if you look at those first four games if they could find a way to even just go two and two uh, I think they'd have to hold their head up high with that conference schedule.
3: Yeah, I agree. And that with that Northwestern game, keep in mind Northwestern's going through a, a new arena construction process, so they aren't really playing um, at their traditional Welsh Arena, and so they're going to be playing in Rosemont, Illinois. So who knows what um, kind of turnouts they're going to be getting? <laughs> it's not going to be those a lot games. of students going up there. Yeah. Rosemont. So, so I mean, that, that's a real unique dynamic that you know is going to be interesting to see uh, after Northwestern's greatest season in program history. How they're going to bounce back with, with all that stuff going on. On. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's not easy to start the things off. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you're talking about what one, two, three, four uh, of your first six conference games being played on the road, going at Michigan State, who's widely regarded as the Big Ten favorite, maybe a national championship favorite. Then Minnesota at home, uh, you know, who's regarded as maybe the number two team in the conference. Uh, and then you know, when January rolls around, you start off with three of your next four in conference play on the road. Uh, it's going to be difficult. But like I said, you know, if you can get through that, like I said, anywhere close to to holding your head above water, you end the year with Rutgers at home, Maryland at home. Then you're at Illinois for your final road game, and you close it out with Indiana and Penn State coming to Lincoln. Four and, out of
2: their last five. Yeah, it, four
3: to your last five. So I mean, it, it's. The the back end uh, is a pretty, you know, appealing situation should Nebraska somehow find a way to at least be in contention, um, you know, when February comes about.
2: We're talking Nebraska basketball storylines here with Robin Washington on the Husker online show. And, uh, you know, another thing of interest still remains the eligibility of Islet Copeland. Um, You know, we really just, there has been no update. I mean, it's kind of been your typical frustrating NCAA eligibility case where, um, you know you want answers and nobody seems to can get answers right now
3: yeah I mean it's the update is there is no update once again um, you know Tim miles was asked if there was anything new um uh, on that situation he said it's completely out of their hands at this point um you know and they are basically just waiting for all the other um outside factors to to get this thing moving and uh, i guess the one bit of good news if you can call it that uh was that there is no kind of set deadline as to when a decision must be made so uh, hypothetically this process could go on through the into the start of the season I mean they could be have a couple games into the schedule uh, and then the NCAA can make a ruling and then Isaac Copeland is immediately eligible so uh, this isn't a deal where the start of the fall semester or the first game of the season is some sort of deadline for this to happen this can go all the way essentially through non-conference play um, to potentially have a decision be made. But, uh, again, if there is no decision, um, or I guess if he's not granted the hardship waiver, uh, the first game that Isaac Copeland will be eligible to be back is December 16th against Kansas. So, um, one silver lining is, you know, if this thing all falls apart and he misses, you know, the, the entire first part of the uh, fall semester, his first game back will be one of the biggest games of the schedule with Kansas coming to Lincoln.
2: And season ticket um, sales will we'll, you know, go through here shortly as we'll get a pretty good idea if there's any turnover of tickets There typically hasn't been Nebraska is top 10 nationally in attendance again, uh, which is an amazing feat considering where Nebraska finished um, a year ago. When we come back here on the Husker Online Show, we're going to take your questions here in the mailbag as Husker Online intern David Eichold will join us here next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show
0: this is husker online your authority on nebraska athletics
2: i saw DeAndre thomas was going with the one uh defense what what kind of look is that young freshman
0: giving you guys he's doing a great job he's fun now i mean the guy's powerful and he's explosive and he's got some stuff to him he's doing a great job with Perella. but he's an explosive guy and he's fun to watch every day and compete against
2: and welcome back here to the husker online show sean callahan robin washett Nate Klaus, and we are pleased to bring in our intern, officially done with summer school, Yep, David Eichel, but classes do start back Monday for you and Dan yeah. Reynolds. I,
1: I get my solid eight days of summer, and that's all the recovery time I need since LaVar Ball lost the four but, point challenge.
2: All right, well, we got a mailbag this week. <laughs> what do you got for us? As, uh, we got a lot of interesting questions, like always, in the mailbag.
1: We've heard a lot about the top three corners, but who are four, five, and six on the depth chart?
2: That is a great question. Top three, as we know, are Lamar Jackson, DiCaprio, Boodle, Eric Lee. I think when you start to go to the next group in no particular order, Tony Butler, Avery Anderson, and then I'm going to throw the wild card name out, Jeremiah Stovall. Am I off on any of those names?
3: No, I don't think so. And I guess right now, if I were to say who were four and five, I'd put Anderson and Butler slightly ahead of Stovall, But... Uh, Zach Stovall is the guy that's been getting a lot of talk um, since the spring, essentially, as a guy that could factor into that rotation. He was an open
2: tryout guy. He came to, he didn't even get a walk-on invite. He showed up to like the campus
3: tryouts. Yeah, and he, he looks good. I mean, if you didn't know any better, you'd think he's a scholarship guy just from looking at him and watching him play. So um, that's kind of how I would peg it right now, but... Um, you know, I don't think that that's solid by any stretch of the imagination.
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you guys. I, I think those are the, the four, five, and six guys. And, and like you said, Robin, I think there's going to be a lot of lot of movement yet to come uh, amongst that group. But um, I really like what I've seen, you know, in, in the development of Avery Anderson over the past couple of practices, because he's a guy who kind of disappeared. Uh, and then, you know, Tony Butler makes the move from safety over to, to corner and is starting to look good.
1: With all the possibilities for punt and kickoff return, who does Nebraska start there for Arkansas State, and does this change for Oregon? Uh,
2: it's interesting because I think there are a lot of directions they could go. Um, I kind of don't think it's going to be Trey Bryant. Um, I think he was a guy last year, um, but I wouldn't be surprised. Ty John Lindsay just makes a lot of sense for me to take over those duties, um, but uh, they can go a lot of ways, Robin.
3: Yeah, the punt return is what's going to be interesting to me. Even kickoff return, it is what it is. Like, you know, it's kind of that just throwaway position now with just the way the rules have changed. But punt return is going to be intriguing because you think Demorne pierce now is that guy, but... Um, but the amount of workload they want to put on him, um, you know, that he's finally healthy, it would not surprise me one bit if they take some of that off his plate and let one of their most dynamic new additions um, get a chance to get the ball in his hands some more. And um, on Thursday, we we watched him; he was back there as you know one of the, as the punt returner. I don't think DeMorney fielded a punt during practice, and so um, and that kind of leads you to believe that Dijon uh, Lindsay is getting a long hard look at potentially taking over that job and um, from what we've seen with him in the few glimpses of uh, you know his ability with the ball in his hands in open field uh, it makes a lot of sense why they're doing it
0: yeah, I'd say Tyjohn Lindsay's got a, a pretty good shot at unseating Demorne personnel at that punt return uh, position. And kick return, you know, I, I'd keep in mind J.D. Spielman. I know he's a guy in high school that did it a lot. He said after Thursday that, that he's hoping to get a shot at being a kick returner, um, you know, and, and this season. And then maybe maybe even a guy like a Wyatt Mazur or somebody like that for a kickoff returns. But uh, we really haven't seen a lot of that yet this fall camp.
2: We're taking your questions here in the mailbag. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus says, David Eichel, what is next?
1: Who gets the most double teams for receivers this season, and who gets the benefit from that the most?
2: I don't know if there's just a guy today that opposing defenses are going to be like, we got to double team this guy. Um, I think this way this offense is mixed in with the threat now of Tyler Hoppus, and that's a threat now. um, I think it's going to keep away a lot of these double teams, but I still think... Stanley Morgan is going to be the guy that will probably generate the most safety over the top, especially in those third and eight passing situations. They're going to probably commit you know that that guy to always be over the top of Stanley Morgan.
3: Yeah, I, I think Stanley's that guy. But like you said, Sean, people might try to start off double teaming, but they might change that approach very quickly um, with the usage of the tight end and the running backs uh, and the slot receivers that are coming up um, in this receiving core. Uh, I think there's just too many weapons for you to devote all of your attention or a lot of your attention to just one player. Because you know on the other side of the field you got Demorne Pearsonell, and then you know you got you know, J.D. Spielman or Kean Williams or whoever it may be in the slot. And then you have Tyler. Hoppus who's being praised as the best receiving tight end Mike Riley's ever had uh going over the middle so I mean there's just so many different ways this offense can go that um if you're going to go take two defenders to cover one guy you're probably putting yourself in a disadvantage
0: yeah I don't I don't think we'll see a whole lot of that this year but no doubt about it that uh Stanley Morgan will be the guy initially to maybe draw the most interest from defenses
2: you're listening here to the Husker online show we've got time for plenty more questions what do you got next Dave
1: Could we see more two-back sets this year to conserve Trey Bryant's knees and provide dual running threats?
2: Yes, uh, I think uh, Luke McNitt is going to have a very big role on this football team. You are going to see Tanner Lee under center more. Tommy Armstrong was not very good under center. He he just didn't have the footwork, the balance, and and the practice reps growing up in a spread system in Texas. Uh, I think he was much better in the pistol and the shotgun. I think Tanner Lee under center with fullbacks and an eye back, uh, you're going to see that. Uh, it's going to be, as Jerry DiNardo, I thought the most interesting comment he made is Nebraska looks a lot like Wisconsin. Uh, Mike Riley, Paul Christ run the same systems. Paul Christ learned under Mike Riley. I think what Nebraska does this year is good. you're going to see a lot of Wisconsin in some of these schemes.
3: Well, and also by doing that. I mean, yes, you don't have one feature workhorse, but um, you have guys that can do certain things well. And some of the problems that Nebraska ran into last year was when Mikhail Wilbon came on the field, you knew it was going to be a pass when Devino Zigbo came on the field you knew it was going to be a run between the tackles and so by putting two backs on the field you eliminate that guessing that defenses can do to shut down running plays based off personnel and so i think that it makes um, only perfect sense to put you know a couple different looks some unique things that you haven't shown on film to utilize the advantage that comes with a running back by committee approach and um, maybe have some decoys out there
0: well, and I like what I've seen of the, all the running backs' ability to, to catch the football out of the backfield. I think that's something that, that they all do fairly well. So that's, I, you can't just single out one or two guys. I think that, that when they're in the game, you know, you have to really pay attention to if they're going out for a pass or not. Uh, I think they all do it well. And, and then, like you said, Sean, I, I think Luke McNitt is definitely going to be a guy that, that gets involved a little bit too uh, from that fullback position.
1: What is Bob Diaco's involvement with recruiting? Seems like he's been fairly quiet on that front.
0: Um, He's involved. I I can't really say that he is – um, necessarily the lead recruiter on a ton of guys, or that he has a, a definite area, or that that he has really focused in on a certain position um, to kind of take charge of. But he's definitely involved. I, I think he's kind of uh, um, you know he he teams up with the other coaches on the defensive staff to to really kind of to help out and and to to be another another assistant, I guess, uh, when it comes to recruiting a lot of those guys, whether it's a defensive back or whether it's a, a linebacker you know outside linebacker like micah parsons you know that's trent bray's main guy but bob diaco has also been involved there with him so um he's kind of a you know a rover and uh, in, in helps out uh, in you know with everybody's recruits i guess
2: you're listening here to the husker online show as we wrap up the mailbag you got anything light to finish on here dave who's your favorite twitter follow my favorite twitter follow god there i mean there's so many of our friend Old Cray Jasker has grown on me. Um, he's definitely um, taken a fond interest in in uh, screenshotting my TV shots every night on Channel 7. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like Darren Ravel. I find what he does very interesting, um, you know, as far as kind of what he follows out there. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm across the board. I don't know if I just have, like, one favorite follower. Um, I, I have a... a a group of people that I enjoy following, but Darren Revell would be kind of right up there for me.
3: Yeah, I'll go... uh... Ralph Vacchiano uh, from the New Jersey covering the Giants for me. Um, he's a guy that I go to for my Giants news, so um, he stands out. Uh, but I definitely uh, like tuning into Nate Klaus for recruiting, Sean Callahan for Husker news, uh, and David Eicholt for Lavar Ball related um, news. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm I'm a bit of a
0: of a stoolie, I guess. Uh, I like all the Barstool sports guys. They're uh, funny. They are yeah. funny. Uh, you know, Big Cat and, and PFT com- commenter. Are, are two guys that always make me laugh with the Polini thing all was stuff. hilarious yeah and it, they
2: called they called Pete Carroll and like left him a message yeah. to, try to get Pete <laughs> Carroll on the show with them.
0: they they uh those are two guys that that always you know make me laugh out loud on my Twitter timeline
2: what about you mr Eichler?
1: uh you know I think Rob Perez uh is my favorite Twitter follow he does a bunch of NBA, like short videos and just he, he just gets trending because he gets every main NBA video, but he, he's really entertaining and he's really funny.
2: I forgot you and basically Dan Hoppen are the only two people <laughs> in Nebraska that follow NBA year
1: yeah, Yeah, pretty much. All
2: right. Well, Dave, thanks again. Uh, we'll be looking forward to the mailbag each week. Uh, when we come back, we'll wrap the show up with some recruiting. That's next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Final segment as we talk recruiting with Nate Klaus. As you know, it's typically the slow time of year, Nate, but a lot still going on um, over the past week. Let's first start with some official visitor news uh, we learned this week um, that's now set in stone. That five-star Micah Parsons will be visiting Nebraska for the Wisconsin game.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's probably the biggest news here this week is that, uh, you know, the five-star prospect, we knew that he was going to take an official visit. He had confirmed that with us. But for him to come out and, and finally lock down a date and and really give us a little bit of insight as to where he's at in the process is, was the big news. He'll be here for the Wisconsin game, which is shaping up to be a monster recruiting weekend. Um, and really the only other official visit that he's set is for Ohio State when they play Penn State. Um, he hasn't said any other trips. He said he's he's really getting to the point where he's wanting to make a decision sooner than later, and um, you know I, I think that's good news for Nebraska. Obviously, Ohio State is going to be a team that's hard to beat. He's got a great relationship with their defensive line coach Larry Johnson. Um, you know, and we all know how good of a recruiter Urban Meyer is, but. I mean, the bottom line here is that that Nebraska visit for Friday Night Lights is a trip that has really stuck with Micah Parsons. That that, that kind of flipped the table uh, for him, I, I think, as far as how he viewed his top five or his top seven or whatever it was at the time. And, and now it looks like a legitimate race between the Huskers and the Buckeyes. And, and you never know what can happen when you get a kid back on campus once again for an official visit.
2: And Nate, we've talked about this a lot over the years, but really the fan base for Nebraska, wants once again, plays big and in, and in, in kind of luring a five star like this.
0: Yeah, and that that's one thing that he's mentioned time and time again about that Friday Night Lights visit is just how shocked he was that there was you know eight thousand plus fans in the stands watching a high school football camp you know and and, and chanting um, you know go big red and even yeah, even got a Micah Parsons chant going. I mean, he was, he was blown away by that. That made a huge impression on him. So not only is he close with the coaching staff liked, you know, the facilities and everything in Nebraska, but the fan base and and their just their, their passion, I think is something that has really stuck with him.
2: You're listening here to the Husker online show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we are talking some big red recruiting as Nebraska um, you know, also make some offers this week, Nate, and you know, it shows that they're still very active and. You know, one was kind of a surprising one.
0: Well, actually, I I was kind of surprised by both of them. I, I mean, we'll start with, uh, with uh, the, the offer that went out to John Wagner, who's a four-star defensive end out of West Des Moines, Iowa, Dowling Catholic. He's the number one prospect in the state of Iowa, and this is a kid that the Huskers have kind of had their eye on. They've they've been looking at him or, or kind of, you know, deciding what to do for a long time. I know they went through there in the spring. Um, you know, I, I, my take on the situation is that they were kind of conflicted as to where he was going to play whether it was going to be a defensive end or if he was athletic enough to be an outside linebacker in their 3-4 defense he's five 245 pounds and you know they've kind of they've typically kind of targeted a lar- little bit larger defensive end um, you know with a lot of their other offers and, and obviously with their commit from Tate Wildeman um, but uh, you know John Perella went ahead offered um, John Wagner this week and said that he would be a defensive end but also late they liked his versatility and his athleticism to kind of move him around a little bit so there is some flexibility between the two positions and I mean let's face it Nebraska needs a pass rusher in this class or or a few pass rushers but they also need uh, some some outside linebackers that can play that cat position which you know they really don't have too many guys on the roster that fit exactly what Bob Diaco likes at that at that spot so I think that's a good offer to make you know especially with a 500 mile radius kid.
2: You know, Nate, as we look at it, though, are they a little late on this offer? Uh, Just knowing kind of where the Huskers stand right now with John Wagner just seems, you know, with teams like Iowa and even bigger programs like LSU and programs like that involved, it seems like Nebraska might have got involved too late.
0: Yeah, they may have been a little late here, but at the same time, he was supposed to make a decision in July and kind of backed off of that. And so this is, you know, the timing is, is kind of either they offer now or, or just kind of move on to the next guy. I think that, um, you know, with him kind of backing off of originally making a decision in July and, and kind of reevaluating a few things, maybe wanting to take a few official visits because he took a ton of unofficial visits to pretty much every, every major program that offered him. And he's got 20 plus offers. So uh, this was, a, a time where Nebraska needed to either offer now or or just kind of forget about John Wagner. Another interesting thing here, though, too, is his personal trainer is Keith Mercer, a former Nebraska defensive back, and so he has, I think, a pretty good understanding of what Nebraska is all about. You know, with the the black shirt defense, uh, so on and so forth, and and so I, I think that might be a you know, one connection that Nebraska can kind of play to, and and uh, we'll find out pretty soon if they can get him on campus, they'll have a legitimate shot. I. I think if not, uh, if they can't get him on campus soon or lock up an official visit here uh, in the in the uh, near future, I think that you know, maybe they were ex- uh, too far away or too late in offering.
2: Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, as we talk Husker recruiting, Nate, and another offer was made in St. Louis uh, to a guy that a lot of people are offering as a wide receiver, but Nebraska makes the offer as a safety.
0: Yeah, Dallas Craddith, is a three-star athlete, Defensive back. Nebraska's offered him as a safety. He does play wide receiver, safety. He's a punt and kick returner. Pretty much does it all for Hazelwood Central High School there in St. Louis. And, um, you know, this was another one that he'd been on the radar for Nebraska for really a couple years now. He he visited um, in March of 2016 for a junior day along with Cameron Babb, um, you know, when he was just a sophomore in high school. And following that visit, he said that that he really hoped that Nebraska would offer. Uh, He's got 20 or so offers to his name uh the majority of the big 10 outside of you know ohio state and michigan have, have really uh been after him hard he's got some sec offers as well but um you know he'd set a top 12 and with this offer from scott booker which is really in in my to my knowledge is the first safety scott booker has offered uh, you know he they kind of vaulted Nebraska right up into his top five. He said that he's going to take a, an official visit, uh, and he's definitely very interested in the Huskers. And it doesn't hurt that he's good friends with uh, Cameron Brown, the, the most recent Nebraska commitment out of St. Louis uh, CBC High School. So uh, there is a little bit of a connection there, and this would be big if Nebraska could lock up a, a really good safety that kind of checks all the boxes of what Scott Booker wants in terms of um, you know size and length and speed and intelligence intelligence especially you know they're looking for smart football players back there at that safety position and and Dallas is all of those things plus um, he's very high on on Iowa uh, Minnesota Northwestern Wisconsin I mean uh, if Nebraska could get him another St. Louis kid and plus get him away from some other Big the rest 10, of the division yeah the rest of the division that'd be a win-win
2: as we talk recruiting here with Nate Klaus let's stick on CBC what's the latest of Cameron Babb after the knee injury have you Heard any grumblings? I mean, have, have do you think people are going to kind of call pump the brakes on him now? I mean, what what's your read on Cameron Bab?
0: Well, right now it sounds like the teams haven't really backed off all that much. I, I don't know. Uh, according to him, things haven't changed all that much with his recruitment. Now we'll we'll get a better feel for that. You know, a couple months down the road. You know, once once recruiting kind of starts to to shake out and get a little thinner, uh, I think that there may be some teams that kind of drop off. Or and I'm sure that this type of injury kind of moves a guy down the board a little bit for some teams but um, I mean he is a tremendous player and and the bottom line is that an ACL injury is not as detrimental now than as it was you know five or ten years or even longer ago you know guys come back from ACLs all the time so um, so I I don't know how many teams are necessarily going to look at him as damaged goods because he is such a good player Um, and he's so athletic and in shape that I think that he'll bounce right back from this but uh, it will be interesting to see you know you know what teams do drop off or, or if his top seven or top ten or whatever he has right now kind of fluctuates and changes a little bit.
2: Well, we're getting closer and closer, just about two weeks away now to kick off as Nebraska gets ready for Arkansas State. Three weeks of fall camp now in the books.
0: Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.